Hello, I am Deb Cobiello, your host of this podcast. and I am so grateful you've joined us for another episode where I truly, truly enjoy serving the C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow to navigate your career or business with confidence. And it is because of that, I am so overjoyed to have back on my show, Earl Brand, for a second time. His insights are amazing. But as I listen to this audiogram from our conversation, he talks about power, control, and authority. They're such strong words. But what are we ultimately trying to do? We are trying to build trust, build a team by sharing our knowledge, our insights, and support. And the old way of command and control no longer serves us. So if you are a leader out there, and I do turn to you, if you're a person that perhaps maybe doesn't share all the information, maybe it's on a need-to-know basis, I might ask you to rethink, is that the right way to lead your people, to build trust, to gain alignment, to move people and influence? You might want to think about a different way of leadership to get a different result. So I'm not going to give up the rest of this interview. You're going to listen to this amazing soundbite from our interview. And please, please stick around. It is going to be amazing. Let's listen. We tend to think that we need to hoard power around us, that being a leader, being a manager means we have to be in control. We have to have some type of positional authority. But the truth of the matter is we don't. What we need to be able to do is build that trust, build that relationship with our team. And one of the best ways that we can do that is share information with them. Don't leave them second guessing what's going on. By sharing this information, you stem a lot of issues that most organizations deal with. If you're keeping information at the upper level and you're not letting it down, there's an information vacuum that goes on and that gets filled with gossip, with rumor mills. Whereas if we're sharing the information down as much as we possibly can, keeping our folks informed, that vacuum never has a chance to form. And when somebody tries to fill it in with gossip and rumor, there's no room for that to take root and flourish. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the drop-in CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, Join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Cobiello, founder of The Drop-In CEO, and I am so grateful. I have the pleasure of bringing on amazing guests week after week. They share their insights and practical tips for you to benefit. And if you love this episode, and I know you will, please subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you great programming. And my brand, (laughs) we sincerely care about all of you, especially the C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow. We want to help you navigate your career with confidence. 
And now I am so honored to bring back onto the show Earl Brian. He is a former active duty United States Marine and with over 25 years of experience in coaching and leadership development. He is the CEO and founder of the Leadership Failings, where he combines his civilian and military experiences with his love of history to bring you what he calls the 11 Shields of the Leadership Failings. And these shields work together like the ancient Spartan formation to provide you a strong leadership foundation that values diversity and inclusion as a fundamental to building strong, successful, and innovative teams. It is my pleasure to have you back onto the show, Earl. Oh, Deb, I am so honored to be here. Thank you for having me back. So for my listeners, Earl and I, we just go back and forth. We have been on each other's podcasts. We are constantly pinging each other, supporting us on social media. We could probably complete each other's sentences, but we are just so passionate about helping leaders, regardless of where they're in in their career, be able to unleash their potential and be able to do the purposeful work that gives them joy. But Earl, I want to just dig right in here and go right into the Shields. But I want to get more specific. The work that you do, where does it best fit? For the person listening out there, where does your work fit into? What demographics could definitely benefit from your leadership offers and how do you serve them? So just tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, No, that is a great question, Davin. Thank you very much for that. I think the best fit where you're going to get the most bang for your buck is going to be in that initial leadership development program. I use this statistic on my show quite a bit, but back in 2012, there was a global study done. I want to say it was Pew that conducted the study, but uh, it was across multiple sectors. I want to say they had somewhere around 12,000 respondents. Asked them a whole bunch of questions, but the Harvard Business Review article really honed in on two of those questions. It was, what was the age that you were first promoted into a leadership slash management role? And what was the age that you first received your first official leadership slash management training. And what they found out, there was about a 10-year gap between when somebody was promoted to when somebody invested in training them on how to be in the role that they were promoted into. And the shields that I talk about with the leadership phalanx, these were the things that they taught us, started teaching us day one in Marine Corps boot camp. And so doing what I do, talking with folks, I realize these shields come together to provide a very, very strong leadership development foundation. And so if you're an organization out there and you fall into that demographic, don't feel bad because a lot of organizations do, and you need leadership development because you're promoting people in and they're struggling because they don't have that training, I can come in with these shields and we can get your leadership development program just up and running, have better leaders, have workers that are more engaged, leaders that aren't struggling as much as other organizations. And that's just going to put you head and shoulders above your competition. So I couldn't agree with you more. So often I find these amazing subject matter experts, they are elevated in their career because they've done great things. We give them more work, we give them more responsibility. And then all of a sudden they hit a wall because they've never been given the mindset, the confidence, the framework, the tools for which to navigate some of the challenges of leadership. It is a tremendous responsibility. It's one of those things that we kind of gloss over. We think they're going to be successful again, but they need new skills and they're under development for which I also have a C-suite academy because there are so many people that need this to be able to develop those skills. 
But I am going to dig deeper into these. The last time you were with me, we just touched on a few of the things of the failings, but I really want to understand and maybe for our listeners provide just an actionable tip on it. The first one you talk about is you're always on display. What does that mean? And what is it that somebody can do to make sure that they are successful with that shield? Yeah, well, I'll answer the second part first, because that is the thing to do to be successful with this is to realize you are always on display. If you're in your organization and you're telling your folks, hey, I value diversity and inclusion. I value belongingness. I want to have a more inclusive environment. And you're out there telling sexist, racist, homophobic jokes, or you're laughing at sexist, racist, homophobic jokes, or even worse, what we see a lot of times, if you have people from underrepresented populations coming to you and saying, hey, I'm experiencing this type of discrimination at work, and you do something like say, you know, hey, they were just joking, that's not a big deal, have thicker skin, those sorts of things, you're not actually saying that you believe in diversity, inclusion, and belongingness. What you're saying is, I want to say the right thing, but my actions don't back it up. And that's what this shield is all about, is if you realize you are always on display, you have to consciously and intentionally make sure that what you say and what you do are in alignment. You know, I like to go to the John Wooden quote with this one where he talks about character and reputation. He says, your reputation is what people think you are. Your character is who you really are. Well, your reputation is what gets shown out there. So if you want your reputation and character to be the same thing, you have to be cognizant of what you're projecting to those around you. And the other little secret here with this one, Deb, is you don't get to pick who's watching you when and how they interpret your messages. You're going through the grocery store and somebody is having a bad day and gets grouchy with you and you snipe back. How do you know that one of your employees isn't on the next aisle over? Or even worse, how do you know that some little kid isn't coming around the corner just seeing you be nasty to this person? And now you've set an example that it's okay to be mean and nasty in public. You are always on display with everything you do. I really am taken aback by that mindset. And again, I think that's something so important for our listeners is just you never know who is watching or listening because that could be the moment that you leave a lasting impact and maybe the wrong one. <laughs> I've never heard somebody talk about belongingness. I've heard of inclusivity and diversity, but belongingness, is that a common term. I've not heard more about that. What is the difference? What? How would you qualify that so I can be better equipped to use that word as well? Right. So it's a word that's kind of catching on a little bit more now. You know, that's one of the things with the world of diversity and inclusion that turns a lot of people off to it is there's a lot of change in terms. But a lot of that comes with we're just really understanding what it is that people are looking for in the workplace more. So, you know, diversity is having people on the team that represent different groups, different mindsets. Inclusion is letting them feel comfortable being at the table. Diversity, we're bringing them in. Inclusion, we're actually bringing them to the table so they can talk. But a lot of times they don't feel necessarily like they belong. 
and can speak up in a meeting. So it's not enough to have one or the other. You want to have diversity, bring the different skill sets in. You want to have inclusion so they are included in the discussion. But you want to make people feel like they belong, meaning they can actually contribute. They can actually be heard and understood and valued for what they have to say and for what that different point of view that they bring the organization in. So that's what belongingness is, kind of the quick version of it there. You know, that so aligns with what I talk about is when if you really want to be a leader, being the one that's talking all the time, even though you may have the right people, the diverse group in the room, talking all the time is not necessarily leadership. I talk about listening maybe 70% of the time and speaking only 30. And in that listening, I also talk about asking questions. A leader has to be able to see the diversity, see who is contributing, and also be keen to who is not contributing. And to your point, the belongingness, being able to see the body language, who may not feel like like they're belonging, who is not contributing, but start asking them well-placed questions like, what do you think? How do you feel? Then you start bringing the humanity forward and little by little, that sense of belongingness, I hope, through your behavior and your actions starts evolving versus this is what you need to do. So I really appreciate that terminology. No, it's great. And it's, you know, just give you a quick example, right? This is one of the things that a lot of leaders ran into during COVID. And, and we had these kind of two instances happening at the same time. We had COVID kind of ramping up and everybody going to lockdown and learning how to do the virtual meeting thing. And then we had all of the instances that compounded on one another. We had George Floyd, we had Ahmaud Aubrey, we had all these things going on. And what some leaders were noticing was that when they would get on Zoom calls, the African-American individuals on their team were leaving their camera off. And a big part of that was they were just emotionally drained by everything that was going on. And so you had two groups of leaders here that were, well, we're here. This is what we're doing. You need to have your camera on. And that stress and emotional was just like the straw that broke the camel's back for a lot of employees. And then you had the empathetic care concern type of leaders that asked the question, hey, why don't you feel you know comfortable turning your camera on right now? And they started hearing, look, I've been up all night crying. I've been going to vigils. I have a brother who looks like this. I don't have the emotional energy to do that. And those leaders, you know, when they responded with, I understand, don't worry about it. That made those people feel like they really belong, like they really part of the team, that they had leaders that cared about their emotional well-being. And at the end of the day, as leaders, that's what we really want. We want to care for our teams and make sure that they know that we care for them and want to take care of them. You know, it's interesting coincidence, the planets line up. I've just prepped another podcast interview. One of the things that we captured as one of their sound bites is you've got the emotional element of the human, you've got the performance of the human. And we spend so much of our time focusing on the performance and fixing the person or addressing the issue or the problem. And that can be very costly and time consuming. We need to be more attuned early or in the process or closer to the human. What is that person feeling? What are their emotions? Because if you start having that sensitivity of understanding how they're feeling about stuff, you could potentially avert <laughs> a performance issue. And not to say we need to go touchy-feely. Some companies might say we're not responsible for people's emotions, but you know what? Maybe you need to change your thinking just a little because you're paying the price later for having to manage people issues. 
A hundred percent. I could not agree with you more on that. And, you know, again, it's one of the things that people are always kind of shocked hearing them, a Marine Corps veteran, that I talk about these things. You know, that's not military leadership. This is a hundred percent military leadership, that care, concern, empathy, and, you know, love for one another. We have this thing that we talk about, you know, if you go and read pretty much any Medal of Honor citation, a lot of them are given out for an individual who literally dives on a grenade to save his unit. And they look at you and, and, and when you're reading that, it's like, you don't do that if you don't love the other people in the room. You just don't. So I am relating to this and smiling this. And again, this is just audio, but over my shoulder is my son, who is also in the military, and he was recently promoted to sergeant. And prior to that, yes, he was responsible for people and training, et cetera. But now that he's a sergeant, he is also responsible for the personal and emotional issues of the troops. And while sometimes it's stressful, it's a new skill to have to manage that. It is all about that deep, caring understanding to make sure the person is whole. So when you do have to go into a situation, everybody is performing and has your back. Amazing. I love the shield. We're going to really showcase this thing because I want people to connect with you. But there is another one. We didn't discuss this one last time was being a power broker. Information is power. Now, I think I understand that. But what does that mean in your world? Yeah. So this is kind of helping leaders be more secure, sharing knowledge. We tend to think that we need to hoard power around us, that being a leader, being a manager means we have to be in control. We have to have some type of positional authority. But the truth of the matter is we don't. What we need to be able to do is build that trust, build that relationship with our team. And one of the best ways that we can do that is share information with them. Don't leave them second guessing what's going on. By sharing this information, you stem a lot of issues that most organizations deal with. In science, in in elementary science, we hear nature abhors a vacuum. If you're keeping information at the upper level and you're not letting it down, there's an information vacuum that goes on. And that gets filled with gossip, with rumor mills, with all of those sorts of things that we know that happens, which creates angst and anxiety, because we know that gossip rumors are almost always wrong. They're always negative, And they lead people to being actively disengaged because, you know, they're always some form of they're shutting down my branch. I need to find a new job. Whereas if we're taking the time as a responsible leader and we're sharing the information down as much as we possibly can, keeping our folks informed, that vacuum never has a chance to form. And when somebody tries to fill it in with gossip and rumor, there's no room for that to take root and flourish because they're going to say, hey, I heard. And everybody's going to be like, no, no, that's not what's happening. We know what's going on. This is what's really happening. So that's really the gist of be a power broker. Information is power is as much as you can, as often as you can, Unless there is some moral, legal, or ethical obligation to keep that information to yourself, because those things do exist, leaders. There are times where you can't share a certain piece of information for those reasons. But unless those exist, talk to your team, share the information. You want everybody on the same page 
so you don't get bogged down with rumor and gossip. I can so relate to that. When I was simply a manager before I became a director, I always wondered what kinds of things were happening in the room where the C-suite leaders would get together, make decisions. And I said, I always wish I could be a fly on the wall. I don't understand why certain decisions are made. And then you have to deal with the fallout and then either align or not and be dissatisfied. But as soon as I became that leader in the room, I saw how the decisions were made and why they were made. And I realized I wanted to share as much as possible because then the team, the people are then part of implementing whatever the decision is. So there is value in disseminating the power. Now, I don't want you to talk anymore about the Shields because I want people to reach out to you, Earl, and bring you into the organization to learn more. But I do want to pick up on another talking point because I've had people talk about this before. I want your take on it, but cognitive diversity. There's all kinds of diversity for which there is certain things we must do, things we should do, but you talk about cognitive diversity and why it's so valuable. I'd love you to spend a little time in that. No, thank you for that. That is a, a topic that is really, really near and dear to my heart because at the end of the day, it's it's how complex problems get better solutions. And when I say that, that comes from a gentleman. He's a math professor at the University of Michigan, Scott Page. And he has mathematically proven that cognitive diversity has no diminishing returns. The more people you add to a complex problem the better the solution becomes. Now, yes, once you add, say, the thousandth person or whatever, the change is is small, but it's always better. And, And what that means is it's bringing in all of the different viewpoints, not necessarily discarding the traditional dimensions of diversity and inclusion, you know, age, race, sex, religion, those types of things, but it's thought. Because you can have a diverse panel of, of individuals on your board But if they all grew up in generally the same neighborhood, they all generally went to the same school, they all generally had the same level of of privilege and income, they all generally have the same political viewpoints, historical viewpoints, those sorts of things. Yes, you have diversity, but you don't have a lot of cognitive diversity. Everybody's thinking the same way. Everybody's looking at the problem the same way. As someone on my show just recently put it, and I love the way they put this, it's hard to read the label if you're inside the jar. (laughs) I think I know who that is. (laughs) (laughs) That's what cognitive diversity does is it brings in the people who are outside the jar. It's when you're trying to solve a complex problem, no matter what it is, do you bring in the janitor? Ask them, how would you solve this problem? Because if nothing else, they're going to give you the viewpoint of, of a consumer. Looking for all of those different angles, there's a whole bunch of different stories through history that show how powerful this concept could be. But I'll give you one real quick one. And this is one that James Sirwicky in his book, Wisdom of the Crowd, talks about. And I think Daniel Kahneman, in Thinking Fast and Slow, he, he shares the same story. They kind of stole it from one another. But there's a fair in England, and they have kind of the stereotypical guess the weight of a cow fair game. And so everybody puts in their guesses. And at the end of the day, when they look and they find out who's the closest, the closest person was within, I want to say it was like 12 pounds of the cow's weight. Okay, that's great. But somebody decided to say, I wonder what the crowd thought. And they had about 1,200 or so respondents, if I remember right. And when they averaged all of the responses out, the crowd was within two pounds of the cow's weight. And that was people who were farmers, who had never seen a cow before, who probably didn't even know what sound a cow makes. 
this was people with all kinds of various viewpoints. And that's what cognitive diversity does. It exposes your thought process to viewpoints that the typical group would have never considered before. So I love that concept. I've written an article about the courage to ask for help. Sometimes I see senior leaders have their pride and want to be able to solve issues with all of the knowledge that they currently have in the jar. (laughs) But knowing to say, you know what, I don't know everything. And maybe there's that two pounds, that bit of information I don't have that maybe if I expand it and go outside the organization, ask for help, I may be able to avert a crisis or be able to solve a significant issue. But there's another thing I was wondering what your reaction is to this, because I drop into organizations and I see amazingly talented people and they have a different thought or they have something that's really important that the organization needs to understand, but they haven't developed the skills to message it to get people to realize, oh, now I understand what you're saying, and this is important. They know how to disseminate information. The sky is falling. We need to invest money, et cetera, but they don't know how to do it in a way that connects with people and shows their leadership and new thought. I'm wondering what kind of advice might you give to somebody that is innovative and has ideas, but can't get them across? What would you advise? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And there's a lot of angles to that. You know, one, you know, we have a lot of people who struggle with imposter syndrome. And my response to that, and I get it for anybody who's listened, they may be like, you know, Earl, it's easy for you to say, you know, you're a white male. It's easy for a white male to not have imposter syndrome. You know, sure, in some cases, but I struggle with it every day. You know, I go into a room and I'm talking to folks with PhDs and they're hanging on every word I have to say until they ask me where I went to school. And I say, Unicoi County High School. No, no, where'd you go to college? I didn't. And I have to overcome that imposter syndrome myself every time I go speak to a group because there's this voice that nags in my head that says, you're not worthy to speak to these people. And I think that's what nags at a lot of folks when they are having trouble articulating that, right, is you need to find that confidence. Realize that you were hired for a reason. Somebody thought that you were the missing piece to the organization, so you are valued. On the other piece, though, is where responsible leadership comes in. And, you know, I will mention one of the fields here again is define success, empower team members, and achieve results, empowering team members is about creating that air of psychological safety in an organization so people do feel comfortable speaking up and speaking out. And again, that is a tenet of Marine Corps leadership. If I'm doing something stupid and you see me doing something stupid, it doesn't matter what our rank differences are. You had better stop me from doing something stupid or you're just as responsible as I am, right? And and that's the type of organizations we want people to have is that we're looking out for each other. We have that care, concern, and empathy, and it runs both ways. That's amazing. I remember my husband telling me about some things that happened to him in the military. And yes, rank is important and shall be respected, but there is an out. <laughs> you can say with all due respect <laughs> and then say what you want. You may still get a tongue lashing or some kind of repercussion, but there was a moment of safety for which you can say something and at least the opportunity to be considered. Yes, 100%. I love to share this story because it happened when I was in boot camp. Commandant Krulak invented the crucible, right? And that is like the final test that all Marines have to go through to get out of boot camp. He was there observing my my platoon was, you know, third, fourth, fifth through the crucible. And he happened to be on Paris Island observing. 
And we knew that he was on base, but none of us had ever seen him before. We're just recruits. We were leading up to our crucible and we were on what's called team week. And one of my platoon mates, He's out. There's this thing. Marines don't stand with their hands in the pockets. Nobody can answer why. It's just a tradition thing, and everybody says it. He sees this Marine. He's behind him. He sees this Marine with his hands in his pocket. And he goes up, and he says, Sir, Marines are not supposed to stand with their hands in their pockets, sir. And it turns around, and it's Commandant Krulak, and here's this recruit. We're talking about lowest of the low, highest of the high. You know, my friend, he, he locks his body, and he's, like, really terrified right now. And to his credit, Commandant Krulak looks at him and goes, you know what? You're right. And he takes his hands out of his pocket and he hands him a Commandant's challenge coin. And I'm sitting there like all these years later, I keep going back to that piece there, right? Because this is the Commandant of the Marine Corps. He could have smashed this individual. I'm the Commandant. How dare you tell me what Marines are supposed to do and not supposed to do? But he acknowledged that he had messed up and he rewarded this kid for having the courage to call him out for being messed up. You know, what's so inspiring for me, and I know that you talk about this in your bio, you're an amazing storyteller. I don't think I can top that story. I think there is just such an amazing lesson in there that everybody has a voice. You can be included. Your voice is valued. That is leadership. Leaders recognizing the next generation leaders and you as a leader in the making, if you're listening to this, you have a voice. You shall be heard. And there are people that can help develop you or work with organizations. So Earl, I would love for you to maybe share a few closing thoughts, actionable tips or ways people can get a hold of you because I know I am going to be using you for some speaking events. I want others to connect with you as well. Well, thank you again, Deb, as always. This has been outstanding. I love everything you're doing. I love being a guest on your show. To reach me, the best place is my website is Leadership Phalanx, P-H-A-L-A-N-X dot com. You can email me directly at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. I am on LinkedIn. Just look for Earl Breon. That's B-R-E-O-N. Those are some great ways to reach out and connect. And, you know, if I have any parting words, it's we talk about a lot of concepts around leadership. But what I would say is, Leadership isn't really that complicated. All you have to do is ask yourself, how would I want to be led? And how you answer that question is probably the right answer to whatever situation that you're in. Because at the end of the day, we all want to be led with care, concern, love, empathy, and all of those same things. It doesn't matter the situation we're in. Those are the things that we all want out of the people who lead us. And those are the ways that we should hold ourselves every day for everybody around us. Earl, it has been a pleasure to have you on your show. Amazing insights, an amazing, memorable voice. So keep up with that. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And I do wish you continued success. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass Assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.